What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Gerald Valley here once again. I want to thank you all for tuning in to these live streams from the NRM studios in Farmington Hills, Michigan. This Hey 19 initiative has been going on throughout this whole COVID-19 thing. And it's a different kind of content. You know, you see so many of our hosts here, Tom Asway, Darren McCarty, uh, Jimmy King, all of them streaming from different places. And it, it, is, it has been a juggling act. You know, we're learning different things. And in the first half hour of today's broadcast, we're, we're juggling. We're juggling. And finally... Finally, uh, using technology from over here and over here and over here, uh, I do believe I have my man, Alan Gunner Lindblom, on the air. Al, what's going on, brother? I'm here, buddy. How you doing, man? Yeah, I'm sorry about, sorry about the disconnect, man. Uh, you know, it has been... Um, one, I say the the issues we've had getting you on the air, it's actually been a little bit of a blessing because we got to know each other a little more, how we deal with things, and uh, and luckily we're both pretty laid back and understand the situation here, eh? Yeah. But, yeah, um, I'm I, cool. I mean, it is what it is. I, I know there's technical difficulties and, and some lag. But I want to talk about, yep, I can hear you. Um, I want to, uh, you know, we did a half hour uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, we got, we're, we're limited on time here today, and I want so many of our drop-in uh, audience is, is hungry, hungry for more information. And so I want to, I want to start right. I mean, we're going to start like halfway through your damn story, but, um, what, what was the instigator for you to write books while you were in prison? Well, the fact is that I always have known that I've had this kind of creative gene, if you will. I mean, I can t- I can trace it back. We go long story. When I was a kid, I got in a lot of trouble. And one of the reasons I was in trouble all the time was simply because I couldn't. Um, like the the curriculum of school didn't keep me engaged because I was a whimsical uh, creator, like an artist, like you would think of an artist as a kid. But I was a bad kid because I couldn't stay focused on you know regular or nothing like that. So when I was younger, you know, I was I was different. They put me in special classes. And those classes, believe it or not, like I, they put me in these classes with what I considered at the time these weird kids, these kind of freaks. And it made me get a chip on my shoulder because everyone in school, I thought, like, looked at me like I was one of the weirdos. And I wasn't, and my weirdo. And so I'm in there with 30, with 30 kids in class, me and seven people, and all the freaks, you know. And now they're probably all millionaires, probably, and they're all like, you know, CEOs and stuff. But at the time, I had a, a complex about what people thought of me, and so it, it caused me to get in a lot of fights. In my mind, I didn't know it was because I was smarter than the rest of these freaking kids or the average kids and stuff. I just thought it's because I was different. So now if you say, hey, you know, Gunner, you're a dummy. If you called me a dummy, if you said, you know, you're stupid or anything, i just start, I'd want to fight. i start knocking fools out, and that was when I was kidding. So anyway, when I got to prison, I said, I, like, I always knew I had this creative gene in my, in, my, in my body, in my mind. So I ended up in prison, or in the hole for 17 months while I was in the county jail. And that's because I 
smash them dude um who stole from me and then i ended up in the hole and while i was laying there in the hole i started reading books because that's all you could do and, and um and i started thinking to myself you know and i had already been a big reader the interesting thing is i like to read which was the of it got all these old games with a book and they'd be like what do you do with the book man i'm like i like to read i don't know so I started reading these books in prison. I'd read a lot of books before, and they were always mediocre. They're mediocre. And some of the big names, like Sidney Sheldon, and some of these huge names, like um, you know John Grisham, I'm like, this book's not that good. If you would have done this, if you would have done this, if you would have done it better this way or differently, you could have had a great book. But he didn't. So I started, in my mind, building stories based on the things that I like to read about. And so I started creating. So in my mind, I, when I was in the hole for 17 months, I, uh, I wrote three books in my mind, three, uh, up here, laying on my bunk, just at the ceiling for hours and months. I finally got to prison. I had, uh, we got the means, you know, pen and paper and stuff like that, eventually a typewriter. Then I sat down and started writing. And, and the strange thing about my process is, like, I, like yesterday, a guy intensely wants to be my man. He's like, my sister was a writer. She's like, but she didn't do like you, you uh, diagrams and stuff and you do outlines and I just stopped him. I'm like, whoa, bro. I don't do outlines and diagrams. He's like, but you write some page novels. I'm like, I write it from the head. Right here. I never wrote a diagram or an outline in my life. Start to finish. I sit down and I start writing and I don't stop till the story's over. And that usually takes about a year. And it's not stop writing for a year. And so, um, that's what I do. And the process of my writing process is pretty simple. You take yourself, you take the story, you create the story in your mind, and um, you start to envision, um, not compartments, but elements. In the beginning, you have to establish the the, the and the um, setting and your characters. In the middle, you have to have some kind of major conflict that, you know, between the, the, the protagonist and the antagonist. Um, and then you have to have the second or the, the last third of the book. You move much faster and speed up towards the resolution. Chapters are shorter. There's not a description, blah, 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 because you already know the setting. And all, all that stuff came natural to me. So no one ever taught me that. I have a, I graduated high school. So I just kind of knew how to do it instinctively. And um, it's pretty crazy because people read it and they're just like, you know, you could go to got degrees. I got a friend of mine's mother is uh, almost 80 years old. She's got a creative lit degree from U of M. She's working on her first book. She's been working on it for 10 years. <laughs> Probably she is, you know. Well, in 13 years, 13 years in prison, you wrote nine novels. Is that correct? Yeah, I don't know. that's right. I wrote nine. Um, wrote nonstop. The only time I ever stopped, the only time I stopped writing was to write my wife, when my wife in my life, when I still had six, seven, nine, I put that on hold and wrote her for a year, nonstop, every day. Um, thousand pages of letters, hundreds and hundreds of pages of letters. And um, and then after that, you know, okay, we started getting on the phone and talking every day, so I didn't write her as much. I still wrote her about once a week. We still like to write. She's a writer too. 
Um, and so we both enjoyed writing. So we wrote that even though we talked on the phone every day, like three times a day, um, which is very expensive in prison, but we, you know, she managed to, to, uh, make it happen. And, um, I, uh, I just wrote man nonstop. That's what I do. It's my joy. It was my mistress in prison. It was my, my best friend, my escape, my great escape. I escaped from prison. Everybody said on that typewriter, you know, I was right able on. to escape those walls and go, go on a journey. Right on, right on. So, so uh, you know, you have you have uh, this this wealth of of work. How do you go about getting out of prison to getting your first novel published? Um, let me put my glasses on because I got I got I got an eye problem where I actually get injection in the eye and I'm light sensitive. Normally I would keep these curtains shut, but it's so warm in here in southern Missouri right now. I open it up and get a brief. So um what I did was I had the I manuscript and the two that I decided to publish were based on a Detroit Mafia family. And I figured that I would use my backstory as a bit of a leverage or, or um leaf spring to to publish these books and get some some momentum because of my backstory and in prison and, and my family and all that. So that's what I did. And, and it worked, you know, to a degree, it, it worked to a degree. I, it's unfortunately, if I, if I had to do over, I would, I would have went through a, um, a major agent and used the mainstream publisher. I didn't do that because I figured, well, the book's so good. The book is that good that it's going to sell itself. And I won't need the agent to, to take half my money and the publisher to take half my money. I'll keep it all. But the truth is, in order in, in this industry right now, publishing, um, because of self-publishing, everybody and their brothers, they can write a book. So you have all these people, I mean, millions and millions of people, they write these like horrible, horrible manuscripts and books. And then they take the vanity publishers. Vanity publishers say, listen, I'm going to make you a best-selling author. I'm going to get you a New York Times. I'm going to make you this. You're going to make a bunch of money. I'm going to get you a movie. I'm going to get you all this. But you got to pay me some bucks up front. The bookstores are going to get you that. And these people are just like, oh, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. You're going to make me a bestseller. Here. And they get thousands and thousands of people. And then if you pick up that, read it, like you, you you might not be able to get through the first five or ten pages without throwing the garbage. <laughs> That's how bad the books are that get published, but that are self-published. But mine here is self-published, which people are you know saying it's the Nazi Godfather. People are saying it's an opus, it's a masterpiece, it's a generational masterpiece. But again, it's this needle in a haystack of ten million freaking garbage books. And how do you get people to find it? Like Goodreads screwed me so bad. Uh, they're te- they're um, some glitch in their in their platform makes it so you can't even find my book, even if you type in my name and the book, it still doesn't pull up in Goodreads. So they're like, well, you, you, the people just have to type in the ISPN number. Who the hell? I don't even know my ISPN. Now nobody knows that. So I got right. screwed there. So if I had to do it over again. Um, I would submit career letters to agents and, and eventually get a mainstream, uh, like a, with some, the good is going to, now, because I self-publish it, they don't want nothing to do with it. That's the irony. They don't want to touch anything that's already been published. Why? Because they think, well, you have one chance to make a first impression. 
I'm like, yeah, I made a good one. I have perfect five-star reviews. Perfect. Find a book on Amazon that has perfect five-star reviews. Both volumes. Perfect. You know what I'm saying? 99% on volume one. 100% on volume two. And not a few. I got a lot. So, I mean, I, the publisher should be like, well, it's proven that people like it. It's established as a market. I mean, we should do it. They're not like that. So now they're like, give us another book. And if it does well, we'll go back and revisit this to be a king, this masterpiece that people are saying. So that's what I'm doing. I'm working on my next book. It's kind of how, you, you know, it's part of the game. You learn as you go and, um, you know, make mistakes and you learn from them. That's my life. <laughs> I think that's most people's lives. And, and you know, uh, here on the drop-in, I think every guest that has ever walked in the studio doors has come through us through these digital airwaves has has talked about that. We make mistakes uh, and we learn from them. And the next time we try to improve on our craft, on our, on our journey, whichever way we're going. Now, to be a king, um, you're... In talks, you, you're interested in, in bringing it to the silver screen. Um, that's something, uh, I, you know, because we, we read some books. Books are great. Movie sucks. We read some books that aren't so good, but the movie is great. How is that transition to take a novel and try to put it into a two to three hour uh, uh, presentation that's going to knock them dead? Well, that's a complex question with a complex answer. But at the end of the day, um, first, it's going to start with a, a good screenwriter. If you get a good screenwriter, which I could do it myself. I'm not a screenwriter, but probably I'll end up writing the screenplay because I don't want anyone to butcher it, which are the most important parts of the story. Um, you know, a screenplay is very easy to write. It's very simple to write. It's basically eighth grade level. It's, it's, it's 90 to 110 pages, 120 pages of fragments is all it is. Uh, books are both over 500 pages. So how do you condense 500-page novel into 120 pages of fragments? Um, I don't know how to do it presently, but if I'm sure, you know, as a writer, I'm a writer, I could do it if I put my mind. The key would then be having a good director. If you have a good director um, that is able to uh, translate that script into a movie screen, onto a movie screen, and what is important what is it? You have to have good actors. You have to have to have good writing as, as screenwriters. And what's important, and that's why people, because I, I connect to my readers on an emotional level, like a real emotional level. You'll fall in love with my characters, and the antagonists, you'll hate them. You'll want to kill them. <laughs> and uh, you will root for these guys, and you'll just be like, you know, it feels like your family. It's part of your family. When bad happens you'll want to cry. And when good happens, you'll be laughing and cheering. I can't tell you how many times to me, man, I yelled while I was reading your book, or I was crying while reading your book, or I said, I'm going to tell you right now, everybody who reads my book is everyone. And those 100%. Anybody who says, oh, I didn't cry at the end of your book, they're a liar. They either didn't read it or they're lying. It's that powerful. So the key is, for a director to 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 be able to translate that power onto a screen, um, and if they get it done and get it done right, it could be something legendary, something that goes down a generation. And my best Godfather, and that it is the Godfather of our generation. So if I had 
it could for, for much, much less than that if you just kind of cut certain corners. It doesn't have to be a studio production. Um, it doesn't have to have A-list actors, although you want one or two A-list actors um, to, to just hype and draw the, 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 the masses. But after that, there's ways to shoot these days and certain technologies that you can really cut corners. Believe it or not, this is a true story and it'll blow your mind. Um, uh, what the, uh, what is his name? David, Steven Soderbergh, he's the director of Ocean. He has made movies uh, using iPhones, real <laughs> movies, studio quality movies that have been shot with iPhones where they put like a filter on it. And they use, you know, um, they use sound equipment and lighting and all that. But at the end of the day, they can make uh, a $50 million movie or an $80 million movie for like 15 bucks, 20 million. And that way they're not using that was the dollars a day and stuff like that. You can have eight people running around with iPhones and stuff, and it only costs you, you know, twenty thousand dollars a week. Or yes, less. yes. I I have to, you know, opening um, this show. I was talking about how I made my my TV show. I didn't know jack about TV. I did the research, figured it out, and did it on a shoestring budget. Yeah. And it looked like anything on MTV, and and it aired. You know, you're exactly correct. Yeah. And and while we're talking about that, you know, for for a while, you and your uh, wife lived off the grid, and you were doing some filming. Now you're down in the Ozarks. And some of that out, like that that stuff you were filming when you were off the grid, you're putting together for like an outdoor show. How 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 do you go from gangster life, prison, writing novels about the gangster life, to an outdoor show? Well, that's a funny transition, right? I uh, but the truth is, I was always an outdoor guy. So. When my wife's like, where do you want to live when you get out? I said, I want to live in northern Michigan, up in the middle of the wilderness, so I can go fishing, camping, hunting, four-wheeling, do all the fun stuff I, that I love to do. And um, and we did that for three years, but then we got sick of the winters. So we had, came up with this plan. What we're going to do is sell, like, 95% of our stuff. And then take the regular and the entire up in the up of Michigan. Now, off the Shoot, shoot off the cuffs. Then when we're done, the trailer and drive 39 hours south to the Ozarks of Missouri and and get a place on 40 acres on a mountain in the middle of nowhere. And so that's what we did. And I filmed the show called Off the Cuffs. It's on on YouTube. You can see it at my Gunner Detroit YouTube channel. And it's uh, it's actually really good. Uh, it's crazy good. It's just a crazy experience where these two city people who love the outdoors they just go for it all in. And just went to, and lived in this beautiful little log cabin on this private lake, like way in the middle of the wilderness, in the middle of nowhere, and uh, no electricity, water, and just and it kind of chronicles the day to day process of out there. But I mean, I'm like I, I'm not to boast. I'm just I'm a kind of guy. I do everything kind of fun. If I have to screw with a light bulb, I'm gonna have fun. I'm gonna be funny and witty. Do you know so. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. That just happens to be the backdrop of what I'm doing is outdoors. But there's a lot of funny, like, outtakes and crap that I'm doing. And, and um, even if it's not doing much, but, like, working on my chicken coop or uh, or doing my laundry with this, you know, plunger thing, you know, this or heating up water, it's all kind of, it's cool. In fact, my friend Louis Lombardi, an actor, uh, Sopranos, you know, a bunch of, bunch of 100 movies, look them up. 
he been watching the show and he's like man i'm not a big fan of outdoors i don't do outdoors stuff you know i'm not like that he's like but i love your stuff because you're funny man and you're real and it's, it's just you know i see how much you love it out there and it just i watch all your stuff so i started like, i shared it with my partner who's a, a network showrunner producer and they have a deal with mgm on a, on a scripted series and he's like, I started sharing your stuff, kept sharing your stuff. Next thing you know, he's like, the guy loves it. So we end up having a phone call. And he says, I really might be honest on something. Character, dude, it's you. So we end up a call. And uh, me and my wife, he loved my wife. And uh, we had a call. And so now I was kind of putting together a sizzle reel based on this show off the cuffs. It's only a month old. You know, it's um, one of my two YouTube shows I have at Gunner Detroit. Yeah. See, and and that's uh, why I'm so stoked that that you're here on the drop in through Hey 19 because your stories, what we just covered in about 10 minutes, I guarantee there's somebody around the planet right now watching going, you hear that? Gunner can do it. I I want to do that. I want to do that and and it's awesome. And now because I'm trying to pack as much as I possibly can in this freaking half hour, um I want to talk about your clothing line because uh, every uh, every um person I think in the extreme sports world a lot I can't say every, a lot of people start their own clothing line. And when I looked up yours, I found it interesting how people can get it custom to where they are, uh, custom to their city yeah, or their crew it. or whatever. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, while I was promoting my book, I actually took the cover of my book, which is here, and had it put on a on a hoodie. So, and then I was published, you know, mafia fan groups and pages on Facebook. And so I published pictures of me wearing it, holding the book, yada, yada, yada. And on the back, I had put Detroit R thing like this. You can see that. But so I put an R thing later. Um, and so people started messaging me. They're like, yeah, I want one of those hoodies, Gunner, but I'm from New Jersey or I'm from Brooklyn. I'm from, you know, Chicago, whatever. Could you do that? And I said, yeah, I think so. So I talked to the printer and he said, yeah, I could do it. We had to make screens and whatever. So we started doing it. Next thing you know, we're, we're making the designs. We did, we, we do 31 designs. We, we have, matter of fact, I got, they have 31 designs here. And these are just a few of the designs. And, uh, but anyway, so, so what happened is all these people liked it. So we started designing more things. Now we jackets, hats, shirts, like, like here's one of our shirts, Detroit. It's, uh, this one's, you know, but I'm Detroit. If you're from Chicago, you'll have Chicago. You'll have LA. You'll have whatever. And so that was kind of the evolution was. Now, if you don't know what our thing means, there's a double entendre there. Because the words La Cosa Nostra, which a lot of people know is a, is a euphemism for the mafia. La Cosa Nostra. Well, it's La Cosa Nostra, but that translates in English to our thing. So now you have a double entendre. So if you're walking down the street... You don't even need to know it's La Cosa Nostra. It has the mafia uh, thing. That's why I got the, the silent gangster logo in the middle. Um, because if you walk down the streets of Detroit, let's say you're in Miami, and you're walking down Miami, and you see a guy who's got a shirt on that says Detroit art thing on the back. You're going you're gonna to look at that guy and say, 
hey, that's one of my guys, you know, my tribe. Doesn't matter. So if you're from LA and you're walking through, you see guys says LA our thing. You're like, you look at them like, nah. I'm like, yeah, man. You know, I get it. You're one of mine. So, but there's the double meaning behind it. So, you know, I look closer to Nostra or our thing, and it's kind of why some of the designs have more gangsters. Uh, like, you know, you know, see here's holding a machine gun, but not all of them have guns or guns in like tomorrow night. Today, we do everything from hats, t-shirts, hoodies, tracksuits. We do everything. I mean, we do beautiful leather coats with our logo embossed on the back. And then we have um, varsity jackets that's all embroidered with our logo and Detroit our thing or whatever your city is. So it's cool. Yeah, I think that is very cool. You know, I know we're already coming down to like the last couple minutes of the show. Um, we're definitely going to have to do more as we move forward, as we get out of this COVID-19 thing. Um, our thing, to be a king, I mean... Uh, off the cuffs it it's awesome awesome stuff and exactly why i was stoked that we connected to have you here on the drop-in because these are the kinds of examples the kinds of stories i want you the drop-in viewer to check out get inspired get motivated to be the best version of yourself you possibly can be that's the goal it's a simple goal but gunner if people want to reach you if they want to drop you a line what's the easiest way for them to do that Um, you can go to my website, which is Gunner Detroit. You can go to my you can go to my Instagram, which is Gunner Detroit, or you can go to Facebook, uh, which is uh, Author Gunner Allen Lindblom. Author Gunner Allen Lindblom. But really, like YouTube, that's the best way to get. You know, what I mean, just go comment, subscribe to my channel, look at some of my stuff. I have another show called My Thing: Tales of a Reformed Gangster, and I tell stories about my past. Stories from prison, stories from the streets, you know, gay stuff. But I also have an interview with, like celebrities. I have ex hitman celebrities on, actors. Cool, man. Gunner Detroit. Well, thank you very much, Gunner. I'm sure we'll be talking very soon. And thank you guys, man, for tuning in. You know, live TV, when you're streaming live. That's what I'll oh, go ahead. I want to say yes, 100%. By the way, um, Anyone out there, it is the moral of the story, man. Literally, that it, it, anything's possible. You can do anything. You know, put your mind to it. Never give up. You know, stay focused. Don't make excuses and just go. If you see something over there, you want it, go get it. Find a way to get it. You look at a big giant mountain, you go, what the hell? I can't get over the other side of that. The guy says, yeah, I'll find a way over that mountain. I'll see you on the other side. That's the guy who'll get there. The one who makes it excuse says, no way, I can't do it. Tell me there. So you just find your way, man. I was in a prison cell knowing that someday I'd find my way and I would get here. And I did. Yeah. And with that, you know, I'm just going to let that be the closing of the show. Check out Gunner Detroit. Thank you, guys. I'm Gerald Valley. This is The Drop-In. You fucking rule, dude.